We just wanna party, party just for you. You just want the money, money just for you. I know you wanna have a party just for me. Girl, you got me dancing, Lady Liberty. Bam! Let's get right into it. April 16th. You know, I feel a certain way about suicide. The 22 a day is real. And I have far more than 22 of my military brothers that have taken their own lives. I have mixed emotions about it because some of those men that have taken their own lives are heroes to me. But at the same time, especially when you leave children in your wake, it's cowardice. I fail to understand how, now I can only speak from first person, so I fail to understand how I myself could ever believe that the pain that I feel is worth sacrificing the pain that I would leave with the people who don't, with the people who care for me, with the people who genuinely love me. So I have mixed emotions. But I'm going to share with you a lot of honesty about myself this evening. Although I'm, I, I do, I see it as a cowardice action to take your own life. Well, for me to take my own life, let me speak of that myself in first person. Let me not speak for anyone else. So whatever anyone else's pain, I'm not trying to belittle it or I'm not trying to act as if I could understand it. But it's just not something that's for me. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are days where I feel less powerful than others. And on these said days, I wouldn't mind seeing what was on the other side. I'm not saying that I've lost my zest for life or my thirst for knowledge or my desire to be here. But they, I too am not a robot, I'm a human being. So on days, I feel defeat. I feel defeat. I feel defeat not in the way that brings me sorrow, but I feel defeat in a way that when I tell you that, I wouldn't mind seeing what was on the other side. I don't know if it's more of me feeling like I don't know what my, what my purpose here is at times. And these are temporary emotions, so I would, wouldn't dare want death to be the permanent outcome of something that I feel on a temporary basis. But nonetheless, I am here to share. This is something that myself and my military brothers in Fallujah had a long four-hour um, conference call about the other day. And I felt like it's something that 
may be universal across the board, be it civilian or military life, at times where we all don't feel that we know what our purpose is, it's still a temporary emotion. But maybe, I don't know if it's for lack of the realization of what my purpose is in temporary settings, as I said, or if it's just curiosity to know what's on the other side. Either way, during this time frame where my son is having chemical struggles, chemical dependency struggles, I know that I myself can never be held responsible for what he does. He's 23 years old. But I can't help but feel as if the actions that I've committed and the word committed is definitely definitely has a negative connotation, but I can't help but feel like the acts that I've committed in my younger days contribute to the energy surrounding his struggle. You see, my contribution to this energy is because of my role in the drug game. So I can remember at a young age, me being able to speak to my pops about any and everything. R.I.P. Big Joseph. I am Joseph Penson III. My father, in fact, was, when he was alive, Joseph Penson Jr. I remember me going to him, and I must have been, I don't know, 13, maybe 14 years old, I'm not sure. And I told him about my curiosities about attempting to make money with drugs. So the first thing he did was he grabbed me by my shirt. I distinctly remember his hand being underneath my nose, smelling like cigarettes because my father smoked Marlboro cigarettes uh, let me digress for a second and tell you something funny so I I remember telling him yo those cigarettes stink man like I didn't say man because my pops didn't play those games but I said dad those cigarettes don't smell good why, why do you smoke them he's like I've been smoking since I was just a kid since I was young my dad smoked and I smoked it's something that I picked up and I said yeah but it smells so bad and, and why Marlboro's because I grew up in, you know, mid-80s, early 90s. And my pops was like, well, you know, most black people smoke Newports. And you know what happened the last time our people came to a new port. I didn't understand the slavery reference then, but now that I look back on it, it seems to have some comedic value, right? And I don't know if that's the way he meant it, but today I'm telling you that shit is fucking funny. He said, I don't smoke Newports because I remember remember what happened the last time our people was brought to a Newport. If you're a new follower, I appreciate you. If you're not a new follower, then yeah, you guess I'm African-American. I'm, I'm a black dude. So that joke plays hard. You hear me? He says, I smoke Marlboros. Now, mind you, my pops had that big Tom Selleck type mustache, right? And he says, um, I smoke Marlboros. Cause I'm gonna be here tomorrow, bruh.
corny as shit. But yo, I miss him. Let's return to what we were speaking about. So I remember my father grabbing me by the shirt. And as I said, his hands smelled the stench of cigarettes. And I remember him having my shirt really tight around my neck. To the effect that his fist was firmly in my esophagus and I could barely breathe. And I know if he had left, left any space between the seams of my shirt and his fist, I would have slid my little skinny ass neck up out of there. I forgot about it now. But he made sure it was firm. And he lifted me off the ground. He had his knee between my legs where I was mounted on his leg. And my entire body was suspended in the air. And I could barely breathe because his fist was in my throat. And he said, let me tell you something about this dope game. Two big rules. The first one is, and this is that don't get high off your own supply shit. But he didn't say it like that. It wasn't nearly as clever. He delivered with absolute aggression for effect he said don't you ever don't you ever smoke snort none of this shit and I looked at him I was taken aback as if like that wasn't even on my mind I'm, I'm trying to hustle to make some paper he said the second thing make sure you put money away cause you're gonna get away with it for a while and every day you get away with it is great but the day that you don't get away with it, you got yourself in this bind. Get yourself out of this bind. But he knew I was well intent on doing what I wanted to do. And even if he had kicked my ass and tried to keep me out of it, that dope game shit was in my veins. The entrepreneurship and the hustler spirit was already inside of me. I grew up in, I'm a 70s baby, I was born in 1975. It was a very good year. He taught me how to work a triple beam scale. Taught me how to measure grams. And he sent me on my way. Now, I never touched that shit in a way where I wanted to get high or I was trying to ingest it at all. It just wasn't my thing. To the point where I look back now and there was no N95 mask back then. And there was no, like, you didn't have access to surgical masks back then. Although my mom was an RN, um, I probably did have access to those masks, but I wasn't thinking that way. So my mom used to date this dude named John. And he worked at Hallett Pontiac, which doesn't exist anymore. But if you're familiar with the Miami area or with the Falls area, you know where that Burger King is in the Falls? Just north of that, on the east side of US-1, there was a place, a Pontiac dealership, and there was a big body shop there, and John did work there. So I actually took some of his masks that he used to spray. You know, when he spray painted cars, they put that mask on. And it was just a circular mask with some horizontal slots in it to breathe but to filter out um the paint so i would grab like a rag from his shop put the rag on my face and then i would put the circular mask over the top of that so i wouldn't smell or snort or ingest any of the coke while i was cutting it up 
at my grandma, my mom's mom's house, she was very um, petite. She was very feminine. She was very um, deliberate in everything that she did, even washing dishes. So she had those long dishes that she actually put on gloves when she washed dishes. So I took two or three pair of those gloves. And I kept those on my hands so I wouldn't, I felt like my pores would absorb the coke if I cut it up barehanded. So I had a mask on and I had gloves on. And I took that talk that seriously. So I never touched that shit. But I sold that shit. And more so ever, I, I sold it like to my own people. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I'm responsible for this pill addiction thing that my son has going on. But I'm here to tell you that I don't understand it at all. I've since realized that perhaps I've invited that energy early on. And please don't pity for me. Don't pity me. Don't feel bad for me because this is just what it is. Right? It's a shame. So the other day I told my son, um, yo, you fucked up, man. And I'm not bullshitting. Hypothetical times, 205 to 210. And then he fired 305 to 310, um, 208 to 213. Every five-minute increment of life, of his life, is a block that he doesn't remember the prior five, the five minutes prior to, right? So imagine me and him having the same conversation over and over again all day because he doesn't remember. Hey, Pops, you think you can give me the money to, um, so I could put down to get my braces? Uh, nah, Joe. Braces is cosmetic, man. You, you got too much other shit going on right now. I, I'm, I'm in debt, a $10,000, um, rehab bill that you've left me. I, I'm not giving you the money for braces. Okay, Pops, I understand. Five minutes later, same shit. Ten minutes later, same shit. Twenty minutes later, same shit. So I got sick of it. And I'm like, yo, hey, you fucked up on them pills right now. Hey, do me a favor, man, and get, get out my office. I'm in my office working. I'm not working in, in my nine to five right now. So my grind is paying the bills. So I'm, I'm like, yo, get out of my office. And, and he's like, all right. But he keeps coming back and asking the same shit. So I got sick of, the, sick of it. And I got up. And out of frustration, I'm here to tell you that I don't understand what he's going through. And although I understand that drugs, it's a disease, it's an addiction, but ultimately it's, it's a choice. And I'm sure some won't agree with me, but you're making a choice to have that addiction. And I'm sorry, but it's just what I believe. It's my opinion. So I got up and I chucked him in the chest. And when I chucked him in the chest, he kind of went kind of diagonal to me. And when he did, I grabbed him and I wrapped him up and I put his ass to sleep. And I left him there. And I got my work done. And I was done. I grabbed my dog, Bruce P. And me and Bruce walked over him ever so gently. Bruce drank a couple of, you know, he went to his dog bowl and sipped a little bit of water. And looked at me and I said, let's go to bed. He grabbed his dog bed on the way out of the hallway to put it next to my bed and we fell asleep. The next morning, JoJo comes in my room. Pops, what's up? Such and such. Now, he's sober, JoJo, right now, so he's good. 
So as we're talking, we go downstairs and we start eating breakfast. Honey bunches of oats. The cluster joints, of course. The gold box. Y'all hear me? I said, hey, do you remember last night? He's like, nah, but I'm good. I feel good this morning. I said, did you get a good night's sleep? He said, an awesome night's sleep. I don't even remember falling asleep. I said, Joe, I put your ass to sleep again. He talking about pops. I'm too old to be tucked in. I said, I tucked your ass in deep last night, night, night. What you mean? I said, you don't remember me grabbing you? Choking your ass out because I got sick of your shit. I got sick of seeing you zombified around here. Nah, that didn't happen, Pops. Me and you ain't get into it. I pulled out my phone. I took pictures of him. To do nothing other than embarrass him. Between he and I, of course. And I showed him. He said, wow, I, I guess I did. I don't know if he's been high since then, but he hasn't been high around me since then. And I told him one of two things are going to happen here. Because every time you fucked up, every time I see you fucked up, I'm going to fuck you up. So either you're going to get sick of this shit and you're going to stop doing it because you can't whoop me, bro. It's just not time for me to pass the torch. So either you're going to get sick of doing that shit around me and you'll hide it from me and you just won't do it here. And that's all right with me. Or you'll leave. He says, not that serious. If you really want me to leave, I said, then go. Don't even finish your sentence. Yes, I, I want you gone. If this is the only capacity that I can enjoy the company of my son, then go. People, I'm here to tell you, I come to you in the humblest way. And the most honest emotion that I can give you. And I tell you that I cried. And I'm telling you, I cried hard. I cried that hard. I cried that hard that hurts. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you guys ever been there, but I I cried a cry, not that ugly face cry, cause you know I kept I kept my dark gable on, I was still handsome with it. I'm being silly, but I cried that that cry that that your eyes just leak, that your face is blank, and all I could do was bundle up under my favorite blanket. To a point that it had me reflecting on other shit that had absolutely, no, absolutely nothing to do with the moment. Where I understand and realize that even when I'm not alone, I still feel alone. And now I doubled up on what I was saying to Jojo about not remembering the evening because all I remember is crying. And waking up and for sure um, I'm not saying that crying is an emotion of soft or um, anything feminine but I'm here to tell you that I'm just not a crier 
right? As, uh, my pops was a two-time Vietnam vet. Like, if you cried around my pops, my pops like, I'm going to give you something to cry for. So that's just how I was raised. And I really don't think I was raised with, with so much love. And I'm not sitting here saying that my parents didn't love me. But I am sitting here telling you that I don't think that either one of my parents loved and my mother is still alive. So currently love me. Not only did they not love me back then, but my mother to this day doesn't love me the way or to the capacity or with the intensity that I loved either one of my parents. I don't think they loved me in that way. I was a mama's boy to a point where my mom couldn't go to the bathroom. I'd be holding her leg, kicking and screaming, crying. Like, yo, I don't want you to leave me. I had that separation, that separation anxiety, right? Yo, I just wanted to be with my pops. Like, my pops has a son, has kids older than me, has a son older than me. And yet and still, he chose to name me his namesake. And he always told me that it meant something. But the comprehension of that without any action behind it, ends up only being blank stale entertainment my pops R.I.P. I love him and I miss him to death but he proves my adage in the way that I feel about this that strong men create weak men and weak men create strong men and when I say that, by no means am I calling my dad weak because my dad was really a strong chin type of guy, right? But when it came to being a father, he fell short with me and my older sister. Because once him and my mother were divorced, he developed himself another family and he kind of moved on and wasn't really full time in being a dad to us. So that space, that gap left weakness. And that weakness in his fatherhood made me a strong dude because I went without a lot. And made my sister a strong chick because she went without a lot. And she went without far more than I did. Yo, my sister is the strongest motherfucker you ever gonna imagine in your life. I draw strength from her daily. The best friend I got. And me in turn professing to be strong I thought that I was doing what's best for my son and I gave him everything no parent could ever imagine dealing with a child who between the shoulders is weak so I created this animal and this animal that I love so much I, I, I find myself not enjoying the company of keeping the company of my own son anymore I used to work with this older dude named Ted Ted had a son named Teddy another son named Terry and a younger son named Brian now me and Brian played ball together although he was a little younger than me his, his middle son, Terry, was a boat captain, and the oldest son, Teddy, fought chemical dependency. And I remember when I was dating this young lady from the Air Force Base, they found out Teddy was stealing um, materials, copper, bronze, metal, aluminum, in order to um, sell it 
and make money in order to support his habit and they put their house up as collateral in order to send him to rehab and he did the same thing that my son is doing the shit didn't work initially well, I don't even know if it worked to this day because Ted has since retired but retired and I don't have contact with him anymore but he's a great guy um I saw that and I said, man, that must really suck. But never in a million years or 20 years, let's just say, because it's about 20 years, could I have ever imagined that today that I would be in that same boat? My dad used to speak of royalty, loyalty to your family. My dad used to speak in terms of kings and queens and princes and even dunce and jackasses. My father led me to believe how I feel today, that I'm not supposed to take orders from anyone, that I'm a king. And finally, as a king, after three tries, I love my two daughters, but it took three tries in order for me to get my own young king, for me to get a prince to the throne. And now that I'm older, it's bringing me to question what my legacy will be on this planet when I leave. So now my dad has been coming to me in my dreams. And I think I'm supposed to have another son. I love my son with everything that I am. But I'm 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 having quarrel with my own cerebral capacity. I don't think he's the king that I'm going to leave here for my legacy. So now more and more, I thirst to have another son. And I thought that section of that segment in my life was over. But every circumstance of pain comes with a certain bit of resolution. Or a proposed resolution. When I first got custody of my son, I believed that my purpose here was to be a dad, right? Because I fucked up so much in my life. Those fuck ups come with lessons. Those lessons need to be passed on. That passed on is to my legacy, is to what my legacy will be. And my own personal arrogance does not want to accept the fact that my grandpa Sam left my grandpa Joe charge of legacy. My grandpa Joe left my Pops Joe, charge of legacy. My dad has other sons, but I feel like Big Joseph left me, charge of legacy. Now I have my own Joseph, and I'm leaving him charge of legacy. And I don't think upon being weighed and measured that he won't get caught lacking and found wanting. So the appeal of having another son and me dedicating everything that I have to being a soccer dad, to being uh, his t-ball coach, to being his football coach, to being his mentor, to, to giving him every piece of knowledge that I contain inside of me, all of my energies until the days where I am no more. It's upon me.
And I, listen, I don't talk about it much, but I have certain issues going on with my brain. And I'm starting to feel these pains behind my ears again. I've suffered from migraines all of my life, but this is something different, almost like an electrical thing. And I'm wondering in the back of my mind, like, is this it for me? Is it my time? Also, I can't see myself being 20 years older than I am right now. I can't imagine myself being an old man, not because I don't want to or because it's not appealing to the eye or it's not aesthetic, but because I just can't imagine it. I just don't see myself being 80 years old. I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to make it that long. And in my absence, I wish for my legacy to carry on. I remember my mom not buying me any school clothes after the ninth grade. I remember, let's say school started on, I don't think it started on Monday, but let's say school started on like a Thursday. Cause you know they don't want to exhaust the students in the first week of school, so they never started on Monday. So let's say it started on like a Thursday. I remember on like a Tuesday, my mom, like a Tuesday night, my mom giving my sister $200 and she was like, yo, take your brother to get school clothes. Now, mind you, we lived in Carroll City at the time. My ninth grade year was the last time that my county had ninth grade in middle school. After that, ninth grade went to high school. Freshmen were in high school, but I, I was in the last year of ninth graders being in middle school or junior high, however you may think of it. And my mom sent, so I didn't want to go to Hialeah because that's where my sister went and my sister was Miss Everything. My sister's absolutely gorgeous. She's beautiful, prettiest girl in the schoolhouse, captain of the cheerleading team, soccer star when she was younger. My sister was well put together. She was gorgeous and I didn't want to live in that shadow. So my choice was go, to go to the rival high school of my sister. So I went to Hialeah Miami Lakes. I had to take three public buses to school every day 27 83 75 I have to get up and leave my house like at 5 5 30 in the morning my mom sent me to the white folks school white folks was dressing nice yo my sister she gave my sister 200 bucks yo shout out to my sister for stretching them 200 dollars out sneakers are not cheap even back then nice sneakers was a hundred bucks she gave my sister two hundred dollars we had to take the jitney the bus the metro rail the metro room mover to get to wherever we were going to go to whatever mall and at the time it wasn't westland mall that we were going to because my sister needed to stretch that dollar out so she took me downtown downtown miami to those little shops and boutiques where you could haggle a bit and I'll never forget this is when reebok went through a transition where they changed not necessarily changed the name but they were referring to themselves as box B-O-K-S box And I got these brown pair of Reeboks That looked like they were leather But they weren't leather So my sister was like Yo this matches with everything They're brown I get you a brown belt You make sure your shoes match your belt all the time I'm going to get you two pairs of jeans A light pair of jeans And a dark pair of jeans oh, I had some black jeans Some acid wash from the year before She was like You just going to double those up So these shoes on the tongue they had all kind of colors, blue, red, orange, white, like a splash of colors. So my sister was like, you just interchange the jeans, keep a brown belt because the base color of your shoes is brown. 
and I'm gonna get you a whole bunch of shirts. And they weren't like t-shirts, but they weren't polo dressy collar type shirts, but they were something, imagine casual in between. And she bought me like, I don't know, like 20 of them shits, man. And so I just interchanged the jeans with them same Reeboks. And that shit lasted me for about two weeks. And this coincidentally adjoins the exact time where I went to my dad and asked my dad about selling drugs. Them $200 for that miracle wardrobe that my sister created. Yo, man, this ain't a black and white issue, but I'm here to tell you that the white kids was laughing at my shoes because I was wearing them every day. The white kids was laughing at my jeans because it was obvious they was the same jeans I was replaying back to back to back. The shirts was dope, but after washing them a couple of times, they were cheap. They developed holes and light spots, and I wasn't so good at washing clothes, so there would be bleach spots on colored clothes and all kind of stuff. Yeah. I sold crack. Immediately. I started chopping up that coat. This is around the time where I got my first quarter brick of coat. And I flipped it. So I told myself, when you have kids, your kids are never going to have to worry about how they go to school or how they dress or what their appearance is. Because it's going to be one thing that I promise you I'm going to take care of. That'll be one less thing for them to worry about. And kids are cruel. But nonetheless, this was the invitation to that energy. Bam. <laughs>